we believe that this is kind of, you know, it's kind of a no brainer that different people are going to have different optimal diets. And not all of us are going to be able to, you know, really live up to the perfect optimal diet. Uh, We're all going to cheat in various ways. But if we have the ability to arm people with the knowledge of, hey, you know, if you cheat with sugar, you're not going to be so bad. But if you cheat with some of these high inflammatory fats, you're going to be very sensitive to that. And if we can warn people about that, they can kind of pick and choose and they can make more informed decisions about how to navigate their food in a way that's more healthful for them. So that's what we're after in the nutrition study. And, you know, that that comes back to the whole All of Us program where everything we're trying to do is to try and figure that out, figure out what's unique about you, what's in common with you and people that are like you in some way, um, that we can create new recommendations, new treatment strategies that are personalized And we say precision because it's precisely for you or precisely for people like you. Welcome to This is Rural Health, a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast brings together leaders in rural health care with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what's happening across today's rural healthcare ecosystem. Each week, you'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Hey, everybody. This is Scott Hertzberg, president of the California State Rural Health Association. In this episode, we are going to have part two of our discussion regarding the All of Us Research Program. Part one, we spoke with Christine Perez from the National Hispanic Council on Aging. And in part two, we talked to Dr. Sandy Borowski at UC Davis about the work that he and his colleagues are doing in the All of Us Program. So stay tuned and thank you for checking us out. Here's part two. Welcome back to This is Rural Health. My name is Scott Hertzberg, and I'll be your host today, along with my guest, Dr. Sandy Borowski, the Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at UC Davis, and in the context of this discussion, co-principal investigator for the All of Us program with the California HPOs. Dr. Borowski, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're so happy to have you. Uh, This is part two of our podcast talking about the All of Us program, and in part one, we looked at NACOA and their work with aging Hispanic communities. And our hope talking with you is that we'll learn more about the All of Us Research Program and the work that you're doing at UC Davis and as part of the larger California program. So would you mind telling us a little bit about that work and you know what your focus is? I talk quickly, so slow me down if you need to and feel free to interrupt me with questions. No problem. So first, you know, I would think that a general introduction to what is the All of Us Program to begin with is in order. And I think people should be aware that this is kind of a a brand new thing, an unprecedented scale. Nationally across the United States, we're going to try and recruit 1 million participants to partner with us in this research study. So that's a big number. Some of you may remember back to the uh, Barack Obama presidency in his last State of the Union address before he left office, He announced this program and he talked about the importance of personalized and precision medicine and figuring out how to do that in a a completely new and unprecedented way. And he's the one that said in that speech, 
we're going to recruit a million people that represent all of the diversity of the United States. This uh, started back then. It's been a while. That's a tall order. (laughs) Yeah, it's a work in progress. I can tell everybody we're about halfway there. We have about 500,000 people nationally enrolled in the study. We have about 8,000 people enrolled right here at UC Davis in the Sacramento region. In Sacramento, we um, have people coming kind of from all over, from Reading to Bakersfield and everywhere in between. So people are all invited to come join us. But my other partners in the California consortium include UC San Diego, UC Irvine, uh, Cedars-Sinai Hospital, USC, and UC San Francisco. So all of those sites are available as well. We're looking to expand that to make it even easier, to make it more in your neighborhood to join. But every time we expand, it takes a little bit more work on our part. So we're able to do that somewhat, but not as much as we'd like. You should you know, ask me, well, what is the study trying to collect? What are we trying to do with this? Right. Yeah. A million people. But what is the point, as it were? So, so the objective is to have people who are participating in the study who represent their, for lack of a better term, who represent their people. So who are your people? Your people are people who share your genetics. So your family members share your genes. They're people who share your neighborhood, people you live around, people who share your habits, what you like to eat, what you like to do for fun how much you like to exercise. These are your people. And so we want you to represent your people in this cohort. And what does it mean to represent your people? Well, it means that you give us permission to follow your health record and you also give us one time blood sample. And we actually take multiple tubes of blood, but it's one time that we take a blood sample. And the very first thing that we've done with that blood sample is send it for DNA sequencing. And so we have genetic results on every participant in the study. And researchers can use that as a comparator or a baseline to figure out whether there are genes that are responsible for uh, the particular kinds of problems or healthfulness that we see in your medical record. And so obviously some people are going to have over their lifetime problems with blood pressure and other people won't. Some people are going to have problems with maintaining their weight and other people won't. And there's a lot of questions about not so much how are we all the same, but what are the ways that we're different and how do we tailor healthcare recommendations and even treatments to you personally and people like you compared to someone else that's very different from you. And we're learning more and more about that all the time, but this is the way to really do that right. I like to point out that a lot of what we do for heart health, from blood pressure to lowering cholesterol, all comes from this famous Framingham study. So in Framingham, Massachusetts, they recruited 4,000 volunteers to be in this sort of famous Framingham heart study. And a lot of what we do in terms of prescribing cholesterol-lowering medicines or blood pressure medicines is based on those 4,000 people. Well, as you might imagine, those 4,000 people are not super representative of the whole U.S. They represent Framingham very well. Framingham, you know, which is a suburb of Boston, is a pretty well-to-do area and, you know, mostly white, of course. So we want to do much better than that. And we know for sure that parts of your racial heritage, um, your genetics are going to relate to all sorts of diseases from cancer to heart disease to obesity, you name it. And so we want to make sure that all of those diverse 
racial ethnic groups, every kind of living situation, whether you live in an urban, dense urban center or whether you live out in the rural country or somewhere in between, we want all of that represented in the cohort. As you might imagine, that's a challenge for us to try and balance our recruitment to get that level of diversity. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, so my background in college was in anthropology. And I remember in biological anthropology, we talked about like the prevalence of like taste sex is more in certain populations or sickle cell anemia, right? In different populations. And this is going way beyond that, right? Because it's looking across the country to try and get all of us included, right? Hence the name. But my curiosity then, like, how do we avoid the Framingham issue where it's, there's a a geographic bias, right? And then socioeconomic bias just based on the sample. How do we ensure that we're reflecting the diversity of the United States? Yeah, we're constantly monitoring that. And we do specifically try and reach out to groups to encourage awareness and engagement of those groups, regardless of whether we really convince individuals to enroll and become participants and partners in the study. We want everybody to know about it and know that the opportunity is there to do that. That has worked pretty well. We have a very good track record here in the Sacramento area of recruiting sort of from all walks of life. We have a little bit of a bias towards having more women in the study than men. Uh, Women maybe are intrinsically more altruistic and want their data used for research, and men maybe are more suspicious, but I don't really know how to avoid that. That's actually a good thing. In many biomedical research studies, uh, they're biased to have more men than women. I was just thinking that, like in you know, prescription dosages for years, it's been saying, like, if you're a 140 pound woman, you might be getting prescribed based on a 300 pound man. And that's going to be such a different impact. Yeah. So, so we're doing a pretty good job of that. We keep working on that. We keep trying to engage with groups who aren't represented. I think that it's very well understood, especially in this region in Northern California, where we have major tribal groups of indigenous Native Americans. And Working with them is always going to be a little more of a challenge. They have sovereignty of their tribal nations, and so they like to make sure that they protect that. And one of the ways that they feel that they need to protect that is to make sure that they have protected individuals from government intrusion. And, you know, you can definitely say that if we're going to take a blood sample and we're going to sequence your DNA, that's a potential intrusion. And so we have to earn the trust of any group we work with to be good stewards of that data and not to use that for any purpose that, you know, that you could imagine, right, that the government might want to use your DNA sequence for. We do have in the study a special certificate that verifies that we will never share that DNA sequence with law enforcement or insurance companies or anybody of any kind. And that's different from, for example, if you sent your DNA off to 23andMe, and many of you have heard that there are these news stories where law enforcement was able to query the 23andMe database to find relatives of the DNA that they found at maybe a murder scene and use that to track back to that individual. It's been very effective for law enforcement to do that, but they would not be able to do that with our study. We have a specific prohibition against using um, DNA or sharing that DNA with any of those government agencies. That's fantastic. I know. I was curious about the element of privacy and security. So that's 
excellent to hear. And I'm sure that puts a lot of people at ease. Yeah. You know, I'll be perfectly honest. One of the things that I'm excited about in this study is that we have a commitment to really honoring the relationship with our participants as partners in the study. And so what does that mean? Well, one of the main things that that means is that we return results to individuals. So when you um, your blood with us and we do DNA sequence on it, we share those results back with you. Now, that's not completely a benign process. So there is a law, it's built into the Affordable Care Act that if you learn through our study or anywhere else that you have a genetic disease predisposition, that will not change your health insurance premiums. So what you change for are charged for health insurance cannot by law be changed based on knowing that you have a genetic predisposition for some disease. However, the same is not true for life insurance, for example. So you're supposed to tell your life insurance company, oh, by the way, I have familial hypercholesterolemia, which I found when I sent my genes off to 23andMe, and they sent this back to me. And they can, it is their prerogative, they can raise your premiums for life insurance based on that. So we disclose all that. And some participants in our study use that to say, okay, I still want to be part of the study. I still want my data to help people in the future, but don't tell me the results of my DNA. Or don't tell me the genetic results that have to do with, right? right? You can tell me what my heredity is. You can tell me if I like cilantro or if I can curl my tongue, but don't tell me about my propensity to have any type of disease. And so we honor that. And so we'll return only the results that the individual participant asks for. That's fantastic. And like I said, I, I'm sure for some folks who are maybe on the fence about participating, that's an extra layer that can help them, you know, help to make that decision if they want to join. I hope so. You know, we really try and uh, be good stewards of this data. We try and keep a uh, very tight control over uh, making sure that the data security is top notch. We work with uh, Google Verily and Vanderbilt University are in charge of the data and the data security. And I think they've really put it at the highest level of data security, which is not to say it can't ever be hacked. We've seen hacks at very high levels, but they've worked very hard to make sure that this is the least hackable database in the world. It would be a one that you wouldn't want to get out there. So in, in looking at the recruiting aspect of it and trying to get more participants to join, can you speak to any challenges that you might have had getting folks involved? Yeah, our biggest challenge here at UC Davis is that our easiest group to recruit from by far are the patients that come here to UC Davis for their health care. And so that's a bias in and of itself. Now, we do a lot of health care that is Medicare, and we do a lot of um, health care that, that is on county contract, but that still is a biased population. And so we still work pretty hard to try and increase that. Our doors are open to anyone. It's just, it's harder for us to contact individuals that aren't part of our health care system. I know when I was when I worked at NS Health, um, UC Davis was who our insurance recommended we go see. It was real interesting because there in Roseville there wasn't a healthcare provider from Adventist Health here because they're all in rural areas. So I know that that would be a, a way for folks out here at least. There's UC Davis medical centers all over the place. Would they be able to enroll at one of those? We do have um, outlying sites. We're there at limited time. So we've uh, been in Elk Grove. We had an original plan to move out to the Roseville location, which we've not done yet. Uh, we are at the Davis location, um, and we're at two different locations in Sacramento. And, and then we're also recruiting at the UC Davis undergraduate campus at Student Health. So those are the options um, at the moment. 
we um, can make it easy. We can pay for parking when you get here. Um, so if anybody's willing to make the trip from anywhere, and we have had, it's a little tricky, we have had Nevada residents come from Reno and parts of Tahoe, and they've made the trip down to come be participants in the study. And they have different state laws, but they have to follow California regulatory laws when they're in California, which <laughs> some of them are not used to. That's really cool that you're getting folks from from that far. Yeah. It really shows that that there is a genuine interest in people. I'm glad that so many people are getting involved because it's easy to get disheartened, but seeing that folks are interested in getting involved to, you know, hopefully improve the quality of healthcare research in our country, that's fantastic. Scott, there's one more thing I want to tell you about, which is a new initiative that's part of all of us that we're also part of here at UC Davis. It's a smaller initiative but it's called the Nutrition for Precision Health Ancillary Study to the All of Us Study. Okay. And I would love if you could tell us more about what Precision Health is as well. Yeah, sure. So first of all, Precision Health is what I started with at the beginning, trying to say that one size does not fit all for health recommendations. So if you think about this in in the context of your diet of nutrition. You know, we have this USDA recommended daily allowance of everything. It's supposed to be one recommendation that's good for everybody in the country, but we all intuitively know that your diet is not going to be the same in terms of healthfulness for you compared to your friend, compared to your other friend. And we all have that friend that can eat whatever the heck they want. And they somehow seem to stay fit and trim. And it doesn't seem to matter what they put in their body. Whereas most of us are struggling trying to figure out, you know, how do I reduce my sugar intake? And, you know, how do I get rid of this spare tire, right? And some people struggle even much, much more. And for a long time, it was thought that this was all about calories in and calories out. It was as simple as that. Well, we now know that's not true. People have different metabolisms that are part of who they are. And part of that is genetic. Part of that may have been changes that happened when they were very small, even in utero, that gave long-lasting differences in what we call their epigenetics. So in the setting of nutrition, we're asking the question, can we look at a person, and we're going to look carefully with lab studies and other things, and based on how you react maybe to a test challenge meal, can we tell what for you is going to be the optimal diet? Can we personalize your dietary recommendations rather than just sending you to the USDA, you know, recommended daily allowance charts? We believe that this is kind of, you know, it's kind of a no brainer that different people are going to have different optimal diets. And not all of us are going to be able to, you know, really live up to the perfect optimal diet. Uh, We're all going to cheat in various ways. But if we have the ability to arm people with the knowledge of, hey, you know, if you cheat with sugar, you're not going to be so bad. But if you cheat with some of these high inflammatory fats, you're going to be very sensitive to that. And if we can warn people about that, they can kind of pick and choose and they can make more informed decisions about how to navigate their food in a way that's more healthful for them. So that's what we're after in the nutrition study. And, you know, that that comes back to the whole All of Us program where everything we're trying to do is to try and figure that out, figure out what's unique about you, what's in common with you and people that are like you in some way, um, that we can create new recommendations, new treatment strategies that are personalized 
And we say precision because it's precisely for you or precisely for people like you. Yeah, so I would like to sign up for that, 100%. I was that friend who could eat anything and anything, and then I turned 30, and all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. Okay, so if folks are interested, right, we give them a, a few sites they can go to. Um, how, would they, how would they sign up? Is there online first, or is it in person? Yeah, super easy. Online first. I recommend everybody go check it out. Even if you have no intention of joining, you can check it out. There's very good, very nice information. It's at joinallofus.org. So if you go to joinallofus.org, it may ask you, you know, what region you're in. So it can send you to us for scheduling your in-person visit, but it will get to us. You can also put joinallofus.org slash UC Davis. That'll come straight to our site. But just remember joinallofus.org. People like this term, all of us. So if you go to allofus.com, you'll get something completely different. So again, joinallofus.org. You know, the only dot is at the .org. So the rest is all strung together as join all of us. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And the information on there as you go through what we call the informed consent process is very nicely put together. There's videos. There's even little sort of silly quizzes to see if you're understanding what we're talking about and a lot of good feedback on there. And if you, for whatever reason, go through that and decide you don't want to join, there's no harm in that at all. Well, thank you so much. This last 20 minutes, I have learned a ton about this program. I would encourage everyone to to go and check out the site, joinallofus.org. Very easy to remember, very easy to get to. Last thing before we go, what advice would you give to someone who's still on the fence about participating? Yeah, so I would say the um, the most common concern I hear from potential participants is the concern about sharing their medical record data. And, you know, that's very personal data. And our laws are very strict about how we can or can't share that data. And so it's really up to the individual to decide whether they're willing to share that data with our study. There's a lot of information about how we keep that data secure, but it is true that what we're asking for is the permission to come back and query your medical record data multiple times over your life. So we want to follow you today, but we also want to follow you in the future and see how you're how you do in terms of your health and what problems you encounter. So that's the number one thing um, that people are concerned about. But if I can, you know, say anything about that, you know, I, I talked about how we protect your genetic results and we have a special provision that the law cannot intercede to query our database. The same goes for all of the medical record data. So researchers are going to use the medical record data often in a completely what we call de-identified fashion. That means they don't know who anybody is. They just know if they collect out of a million people, they find 80,000 people that have high blood pressure that doesn't respond to drug X, and they look at their genetics and they figure out the genes that are responsible. That's what we want to see. And so that kind of aggregated data is the important thing. But it is tied to you in terms of we know that data came from you as an individual because we want to go back to your medical record again. We need to know whose medical record we're asking for in three months, six months, 10 years from now. We also need to know who you are so that when we get results back from our scientists, we can return those results to you. We do that in a portal. You can have a web app where you can see the results um, that have come back that are specific to you. And then you can't see anybody else's results, but you can see the aggregated results. 
how many people like you, you know, had certain things, certain conditions, how many people have an aversion to cilantro. You can look for those. They're nice pie charts and stuff like that. So that's that's a nice value add. Um, you can also see kind of an extract of your medical record, almost like a my chart that people are using. Uh, we return that to your portal as well. And so there's a lot of value to be had there um, that I hope people are excited about and they can play with. And we're continuing to add value as we do more tests on the blood sample that you donate. We're going to return more and more results that may be interesting to you. And some of them may be very important for you to take action on in terms of your health. Well, I don't know why anyone would hesitate to sign up. So I, you know, I'm sold. Joinallofus.org. And Dr. Sandy Borowski, thank you so much for taking the time today to walk us through some of the work that you're doing, the, and the work that the All of Us campaign is doing um, halfway or, you know, close to halfway to that goal. And, you know, it'd be great to check in with you or, or others, maybe, you know, six months from now, a year from now and see how this stuff is progressing. That'd be great. I really thank you for um, inviting me today. It's been fun talking to you. All right, everybody, I recommend you go check out Join All of Us org and learn more about the program. This has been This is Rural Health. Thank you for taking the time to check us out. This is Rural Health is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrj.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association.